All right, all right, all right. Once again, once again, I am back with all of you, all of our good friends, all of our viewers, all of our followers, all these incredible lives around the world. And we appreciate you, you tuning in wherever you are in the world. If you're watching this on one of our super social medias, just introduce yourself into the chat. Say who, who you are, where you're from, and what you're up to these days. Today, I'm really excited to be inviting someone who for many years, you know, I looked up to. For many years, he was one of those mentors that I was learning from. He's one of those mentors when it came to building relationships, whether it was professional, whether it was personal, when it came to this beautiful world of networking and strategic partnerships and just really how you develop partnerships around the world, uh, this gentleman has already been that person for me. Um, he has been called in Europe a, um, a leading business networking strategist by the Financial Times. Both Forbes and The Independent called him a true master of networking. Uh, Andy has written four books on networking uh, and professional relationships. Today, he's going to be sharing with us something very exciting about his latest book. And I know for a fact that he has been speaking in many, many, many countries uh, around the world from what my team has told me um, it was uh, how many countries they mentioned it somewhere but I can't find that number Andy how many countries was it that you spoke in front of I think last count it's, it's about 26 yeah I remember it was a big number man I still have not made it to 20 countries so ladies and gentlemen I'm super excited to be inviting here with us today um, Andy, who's an absolutely amazing individual who, when he jumps on stage, you will laugh, you will cry, you will resonate with him, and you will learn a lot. I've uh, had the pleasure to share the stage with him. I have the, the pleasure to see him live on stage on multiple occasions. And every single time I was blown away and every single time it reminded me of how much I still need to grow as a speaker, how much I still need to grow when it comes to professional relation or understanding what is human networking all about and how deep it could really go into. And it's not just this kind of shallow talking and working in room and exchanging cards. This man has been able to study it and teach it and learn it. So Andy Lopata, I'm really, really excited to have with you with us today. Thank you. What, what an introduction. I may just have to cut that and put it on my website. Thank you, Gil, and thanks for inviting me uh, on to join you. Really, really exciting. So thank you. So, you know, in, in the last few years, uh, I know we've been able to interact quite a bit and to see how things have been developing in each other's lives to me has always been a lot of fun. But Andy, you know, the world is another place today where we were six months ago. Tell us, you know, how have you personally managed to go through all of these changes in the last few months? And what have you seen from your perspective and how the world of professional relationships and how networks are built or communities are built? What have you seen happen in the last few months? Well, there's a couple of questions there, really. I mean, the, for me, it's been a very creative time, you know, like, like many of us who uh, who who get a lot of our income from speaking and training and you and I were talking about this Gil just before we went live um a lot of a lot of bookings disappeared overnight uh, and we don't know when they'll be back because we don't know when that industry will will be back to anything resembling normal so yes there have been opportunities for remote presentations using zoom um but I've really 
um, increased my focus. I was already working towards it, but increased my focus on, on the one-to-one mentoring work that I do. Um, and, and also I'm working on developing group mentoring programs, which is something that I was considering before the, the, the COVID-19 crisis and the lockdown, um, but now makes so much sense. And the response I'm getting is really positive. So it's been a creative time for me. You know, you mentioned my, my new book. That, that was written in the first two weeks of lockdown. Uh, and and the the digital version, the ebook, was published on the twenty sixth of May. So it was all in about six weeks from conception to publication. And now, because of demand, when the ebook came out, we we brought out the paperback. Um, I, I've been working on a new podcast series. I've recorded twelve interviews with experts and sports stars and and people with phenomenal backgrounds from all over the world, um, including inter- might be of interest to you a, a well known Israeli conductor. Uh, really fascinating talk about the dynamics of working with an orchestra and and how he studied under Leonard Bernstein. So, um, you know that that will hopefully be launching at the end of this month. Um, and we've and we've been working a lot on the strategy of the business. So it's been a really creative period. In answer to your question about what I've seen in the wider world, obviously we've seen people get more and more used to uh, working with technology and having meetings remotely. Interesting for me because one of the things I was considering before lockdown was looking at my meetings and understanding which ones could be dealt with remotely so that I could free up more time for the relational meetings that I needed to build in. I think that a lot of my clients, and I've spoken to clients about this and, and they, that they agree with me, that, that there are certain meetings that if I turn around to them and say, let's do this in 15 minutes over Zoom, rather than one hour over coffee, they're going to appreciate that. We can get the transactional discussion done in in a short, sharp way, and then we create more time for relational catch-ups. That's going to be a lot easier to sell than it already was now because people have got used to the technology. The flip side of that is we're getting what I call Zoomed out or Zoom fatigue. Um, You know, as I'm talking to you now, so that everyone who's watching this feels me making eye contact and engaging. I'm looking at a green light. I'm not looking at your face. Mm. That's very draining for me. And it includes when you speak, because I'm, I believe people are seeing just you when you speak, but I'm not hundred percent sure. So I don't want to be seeing both of us. So I don't want to be looking away, which I would be doing if I was looking at your image. So I, I think that if you're trying to engage properly, you can't make eye-to-eye contact. You can't make real eye-to-eye contact. And it, it really saps your focus. Uh, if you're speaking and it looks like someone's walking away, I'm uh, sorry, looking away, that, that saps your energy. And if you're, if you're listening, but you're looking um, at a green light, then that saps your energy. So I think we have to use this new te- technology in moderation and recognize that. There's a lot of people talking about moving to home working on a more permanent basis. I don't think it will be as extreme as, as people are saying. Um, in, in the city of London, for example, hundreds of millions, if not billions, are tied up in construction of new office space. That's, they're not gonna, companies aren't going to let go of that that easily. They're going to be tied into hugely expensive deals. What we will see is more, uh, there will be, m- more allowance for people wanting a flexible work style and to work a certain amount of time from home. I've already got clients where they are making their offices available, but they're encouraging people to come in only when they need to. That will moderate. 
as we get more used to living back in in, in a more normal uh, world. But I think it will be easier for people to work from home. From a relationship building perspective, the downside of that is you don't have those ad hoc conversations mm. uh, around the water cooler. You know, people don't just wander over to someone's desk or can't for a chat. They book in a 30 minute meeting and they'll think twice about that. Um, so there's a lot going on there. And, and obviously, in terms of building your network, you, you know, I had a client say to me last week, you know, in, in their space, they don't envisage being back to anything resembling normality for over a year, given their mm. industry. And they were saying, our guys, our sales team go out and meet clients and meet prospects and build their visibility in their, their industry at conferences and events. And they can't do that anymore. So they have to find new ways. Part of that is, is just in increasing your focus on your existing relationships and, and understanding whether you are nurturing and leveraging those relationships as well as you could be, which is a lot of the focus of the new book, or using and leveraging those relationships better to get introductions rather than that hit and hope approach of an event. Mm. I, I think that is um, it's very, very powerful because you know what's going on right now you know both of us cover um, similar topics in different territories in the world and one of the biggest questions i'm being asked a lot from people right now is how do you network online what's the best way to network on zoom and you just cover that in such a beautiful way that you can't walk up to someone's desk and have a two-minute chat you have to kind of book something with them on zoom now what i've been seeing that some companies especially in silicon valley are doing the whole company actually gets on Zoom and they stay on Zoom the whole day. It's actually, they stay, and as soon as they want to talk to someone, they're like, they ping them and they turn on the video very quickly. And in a way, it goes back to the, I can dis disrupt you and disturb you from doing something, which was one of the positives and negatives we used to have in the workplace, where you can disrupt someone. And now you could still do that. I'm curious, what is your suggestions to companies out there? Like you said, where networking and professional relationships is how they got business done. What is your suggestions right now? How do you do that? How do you not go bankrupt? I think, you know, the, 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 the idea that you've just sort of shared about going on Zoom the whole day is a really interesting one. I think um, it's I'm, crazy. Well, I, I'm someone who, who uh, ironic for what I teach, but my last business, I started working from home more and more anyway, because when I'm in work mode, I'm in work mode and I don't like those little, you know, interruptions. You know, I, I prefer if I'm focused on something to retain that focus. So I think you have to manage that carefully and have a do not disturb type uh, approach there. But, you know, creating a, a constant Zoom room where when people are working on something where they might want input, they might want to share, or they might not need 100% focus. You know, there are those lighter tasks um, where you can be interrupted, then they go in. I think that could work really well. Um, uh, using breakout rooms in Zoom as well and making those available in, in the way you would have meeting rooms in an office could, could be a, a strong way forward. Uh, I would encourage use of the phone as well. You know, I talked about the Zoom fatigue. I. I, and I talk to other people who feel the same, get relieved when someone wants to talk on the phone now rather than um, on a video call. Uh, and, you know, I, I experienced this yesterday when someone did it, you know, on a call with me and I've done it on calls with others. Using that time when you've got calls booked 
and this is about encouraging your staff to do this as well, go out for a walk uh, and, and have those conversations um, while you're going for a walk and getting fresh air and some exercise as well. Because what we have to be very wary of is thinking, well, our employees don't have a commute anymore. They've got so much more time available. We can book in more and more calls and they haven't got to travel to meetings. So we can book in calls closer and closer together. And you end up with people stuck in a small home office with kids screaming outside and whatever else going on and not getting fresh air, not getting exercise. So build in phone calls to do that. Um, I think that for companies, it's important to look after the health uh, and the mental health of your, of your, your teams and your staff. So that getting, encouraging people to go out and, and walk is a key thing. And, and depending on the lockdown rules in the country you're in, you know, and, and ge geography as well, go have walking meetings. You know, you might not feel safe sitting in a room with someone. In I'm lucky that we're in Bali and we could do that, man. Yeah. Some yeah, people I've... are stuck in big cities. Like, you know, I'm happy that we didn't go back to our home in Singapore where we actually initially met. Yeah. Because in Singapore, it was like ridiculously strict quarantine. You cannot leave your house. But in London now, you see, if you're in a big city, there's an advantage. Because I live half an hour, 45 minutes outside London. Normally mm. not a problem, but I have no intention on getting in, on a train unless I need to. So for me, I don't have people around me. I can just say, let's go for a walking meeting. Yet, if you live, if you live near London or walking distance of London, a lot of my friends are doing that. So I think there is that advantage. And we have a lot of green space and a lot of open space, yeah. even in, in the city. London's, you know, got phenomenal parks right the way across the, the, the central area. So, so you have that option. Um, I also think that from a managerial or leadership perspective, don't just talk to your staff when you need to talk to them about their, their jobs and their projects. Pick up the phone and say, how are you coping? Hmm. What's happening? And I, I, you know, one of the biggest things for me in this period is dialing up the empathy and recognizing that everyone you talk to has got stuff going on you don't know about. Uh, they may have a close family member who's got COVID-19. They may have just lost someone. They may be worried about their job. They may be worried about theirs or a family member's business going bust. They may be making staff redundant that week. There could be so many things happening. And when you go in on, on a purely transactional basis, you're missing all of that. And that's come home to me several times over the, the course of this lockdown. And, and I've, I've got it wrong on several occasions. You know, I've really learned from this. But one of the things I've learned is that that's happening now and it's heightened now and sensitivities are heightened now. But actually, that's the story always. And it's so easy. We see people as strong when behind the scenes they're not and i think that empathy is key so if if one positive thing can come out of this i think one one thing is that we're more understanding and empathetic towards each other hmm. beautiful i i love that and i i like what you were mentioning before how you know these days if um if a, if a company cannot focus necessarily on going to all those conferences and expos and get new clients and they should really go backwards, they should focus on the old clients and the clients that they've lost, you know, relationships that kind of, you know, lost their flame. But if someone is in a position, there's a lot of businesses out there today that are suffering because, you know, maybe it's a brand new business. They don't have a, much of a history of old clients or new change of management something what is your proposals today where do people build 
new professional relationships today uh, in order to support their business, in order to make sure they could still pay salaries? Well, I think there's two, two approaches to building professional relationships. And in the book, I talk about the difference between uh, a strategic or a partnership mindset uh, and a relationship or a relational mindset. Um, the relational mindset is we meet through whatever means, through friends, through an event, dinner party, a Zoom call, whatever, and we click. We have rapport. We get on. We have a similar view of the world. We have um, th interest in common, whatever it might be. But I don't see how you can help me now. That's fine. Just build the relationship. You know, you, it, it's not just about today. It's about 10 years from now, 20 years from now. The, the businesses that are thriving now will be the ones who have the relationships in place and strong already now i will come back to answer it for those that haven't and that and that really comes to the, the other side which is the partnership mindset the strategic mindset who do you need strong relationships with in order to drive your business forward and, and i think that in anything you're trying to achieve from a professional perspective there are in every stakeholder group so you might look at a project and say well the people that can that, that can help me on this project are within my own organization uh, they are within the client's organization. They're with the client, within the client's industry, other people and, and other people who serve that industry. So that might be four different stakeholder groups. And within each of those stakeholder groups, there are three types of relationship you're looking for. You're looking for relationships with people who can influence, people who can introduce, and people who can be a source of information, ideas, and insight. Mm. So when you're looking at a potential project, and I'm working on a matrix that helps you um, look at your existing network and see where those connections already are, uh, where you're not, you're not really working with them, um, you can look at that project and you can say, okay, within each of those stakeholder groups, first of all, who do I know and how strong is my relationship with them? Now, which of those are influencers? which of those can open doors for me, they're, they're introducers, and which of those can I turn to for those, that information, insight, and ideas? And then you say, okay, and who don't I know, but I know they're there, and I need to start meeting them. Once you've done that groundwork, I would then be saying, okay, there's someone who I already know, but I don't have a strong enough relationship with. Grow the relationship. There's someone I already know, I have a strong relationship with, I'm not asking the right questions or I'm not asking for the right help. Change what you ask for. And there's someone I don't know and I have no relationship with, but they are key. Ask for someone to introduce you to them. Or if you have to, send them a, a very personalized, strong connection request on LinkedIn that talks about them, not about you. But that groundwork of, of it's the strategic mindset, it's the strategy behind it of saying, what do I want to achieve? Who can help me get there? Who do I already know? But what do I need to do better with those relationships? And who don't I know? Who do I need to meet? That will guide, guide you to, to, to start to plug those gaps. I love that. Wow, what a powerful answer. And I hope that everyone who's listening is, uh, is structuring those. So first of all, I'm happy that this, is, this information is definitely going to be in Andy's new book. So highly, highly recommend you get it. We'll make sure to share the link uh, in all the chats uh, right after. Um, but 
Andy, if we go a little bit deeper into this, and you know, so I'm constantly being asked by people these days, Gil, if I need to find investors, clients, mentors, you know, where do I go? In the past, I would tell them some interesting events to go to, you know, the right sort of galleries, the right sort of events, the right sort of clubs. And these days, I'm suggesting LinkedIn, I'm suggesting different online summits, I'm suggesting different Instagram marathons where people are still gathering in a specific kind of focus. Um, and of course, you know, I've been suggesting masterminds to people for a while, but for many people, masterminds have been a big investment. What do you suggest to people these days if they're looking to build new personal or professional relationships? They just want to connect with humans. Maybe they're a little bit tired of the people around them. You know, they're a little bit going crazy with the family around them. And maybe it's still using Zoom or it's using, you know, their laptop, but they want to disconnect from their current network and connect to a new network, which I personally believe is one of the greatest ways to go through change in life. You know, disconnect from a lot of people and connect with some new people. Things are going to change in your life. What do you recommend to people these days? What should they do in order to create, to go with the flow of the change in the world? Well, I think, first of all, I would always start with referral. I would always say, you know, if you understand who you want to meet, now, this doesn't allow for random connections, admittedly. But, but let's say, for example, you want to learn more about a different sector, a different industry, a different um, way of thought, whatever it might be. Friends of mine have just started a new company. He's a, um, a photographer and she's a graphic designer. They started a property company. So they want to build a network in property. So the first thing I would say to them is ask your network, who do you know who is active in the, the property space you know who's interesting who's got things to say follow them on twitter follow them on linkedin engage with their posts and ask for introductions find out who the influencers are who are talking about the stuff you're interested in follow them and engage you notice it's not just follow them it's not lurking in the background if you want to build the relationships but i would think that yeah i i'm very conscious if, if i if i'm talking about specific people you want to meet ask for introductions, ask for referrals. That's always my first step. But your question seems to be more about finding interesting people. You don't know who they are at this stage. I would focus in on, on a theme. Let, you know, in modern day terms, let's say I'll focus in on a hashtag and I would follow that hashtag and I would find out who's interesting and who's, who's sharing different ideas, who's getting great engagement. And I would follow those people and I would engage on their posts. And what you'll find yourself doing is engaging not just with that thought leader. And sometimes if they are a thought leader at the top of their game. So let's say, for example, um, my next book, um, uh, which comes out later this year, is about vulnerability. Uh, the name in that space is Brené Brown. If you try and engage with Brené Brown, you, you, you might not be so lucky. She won't have time to reply to everyone who's who's posting and commenting on on her posts but other people will also be engaging in that discussion mm. so you may engage with a thought leader and the more consistently you show up and the more pro the more positive and constructive your comments are you're not going to get great engagement from saying nice post but by throwing an intelligent question by challenging respectfully by bringing in some new evidence or a story of your own people something that will resonate with people and spur them into a response you'll get into conversation whether it's with that thought leader whether it's with their followers 
and that will help you grow that network. So you can do that on LinkedIn. You can do that on Instagram. You can do it on Facebook. You can do it on Twitter. You can do it on Zing. You can do it on, on, on industry specific social networks, wherever you are, because hashtags are prevalent everywhere. Uh, mm. And you use the hashtags for the search. So that would be a key way I would do it. Uh, I don't know how much meetup has moved towards online meetings, but there were a lot of online meetups anyway. So meetup.com would be a good resource to look under subject areas. With all these things, whether it's groups, whether it's hashtags, whether it's meetups, threads, whatever it might be, look for the level of activity. You know, going to a meetup which has a meeting once every three years with five people attending is not going to grow your network and lead you to great conversations. Neither is joining a group with 16 people that haven't had a post for, you know, 60 months. You need to look for regular, consistent activity. Uh, and that's a good guide. You can kiss a few frogs to, to, to find your prints in effect. I love that. If we can go a little bit deeper into that, because what you started actually sharing is, is methodology. It's your own strategy of how to connect with people. And these are life hacks that the, you know, most people out there have no idea. They don't think that way. And I've learned this the hard way. I've had to learn how to do it myself. And then I'm constantly getting questions from people that I'm like, well, I thought that was obvious. So I thought that was logical. So let's look at a few of these things that are potentially, you know, obvious to us, you know, definitely logical to yourself because you're teaching it actively, but it's not for others. If people are going out there, they're going to these events, offline, uh, online events for now, they're connecting with people, they're building these relationships. What I have found that's happened to me on multiple occasions, but it happens to people all around me, they get overwhelmed. Too many connections come in at the same time, too many messages, too many voice messages, too many inboxes. Now, I've learned to delegate. I have someone checking my emails. I have someone checking a lot of my, my Instagram. It's really, really helping me. I check some of the other ones myself. But what kind of life hacks do you have to not have a network overwhelm, you know? Yeah, there's, there's a couple of things. I, I, I do delegate to a degree. I think it's very difficult to delegate relationships. Um, there, there's nuance in, in those, you know, in, in those messages that... that a third party won't necessarily know. So I have people checking and, and, you know, in the last couple of weeks running one of my Instagram accounts and looking at my social media, they're taking out more, but I, I still check the notifications and respond to them. Um, I, I did see uh, that they had followed an ex-girlfriend yesterday that I certainly wouldn't have followed personally, um, which, which might be awkward. So there's those little things that someone won't know when they see the name of someone but actually you would know. So you have to be really careful with that. I think one of the key things for me is that I actually have a, I would call it a semi-closed connection approach. So I'm not an open networker. I don't, I'm not a LinkedIn open networker. I don't connect with people just for the sake of it or LinkedIn tells me to. I don't connect with people because we have mutual connections. You know, if, 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 for example, if you're an open networker and you'll accept anyone and they connect with you and then they come to me and say, we know Gill in common, well, you don't know them. And, and therefore, mutual connections doesn't mean anything to me. So I will always engage in conversation with people who, who seek to connect uh, if they want to, but I'm semi-closed in the approach. Uh, Twitter, I don't follow back just because you follow me. Same with Instagram. And I think you can manage that overwhelm that way by having a tighter, more meaningful network. 
you forgo things by doing that. You, particularly from a, a marketing perspective, more than a networking perspective, you know, on LinkedIn, if I had an open approach and I had 15,000 connections, my posts are going to have substantially greater reach than they do at the moment. And that's a, a trade-off, you know, on a day like today, when I'm launching a book, you want maximum reach. You know, if I could have 100,000 connections for today, <laughs> that would be great. But that's not actually, that's not networking. And it's not, it's not what, you know, that's mass marketing. And people don't join social networks to be mass marketed to. So I think there's an element of that to bear in mind as well. So I think managing numbers is absolutely key. The delegation can work, but you've got to be aware of that nuance that you're aware of that other people aren't. So you, you still need to stay engaged with it. And if we're looking at that specifically, you know, part of that kind of follow up, maybe strategy or a, you know, relationship management methodology. Is this something that you found yourself recommending to people or you find yourself using when it comes to, you know, I just met this person, connected him one time, met that girl, met these 20 people in one event, How, and they all feel like good people. You know, you show up at an event, and it's a very, very closed event. There's only 15 people. All of them were handpicked, like, wow. What is your approach to following up with them, staying in touch? How do you do that? Because we really don't have time to meet up with all of them and have one-on-ones. Okay, so, so first of all, it's unlikely that I would have that many conversations at an event um, or want to follow up with all of them. I, I tend to be very conscious that for it to be meaningful, I need to have that time to follow up. And that means being selective. It doesn't mean I talk to one person either. It means that I have a small number of reasonable conversations. In terms of who I follow up with, um, you tend to know there will be strong rapport um there will be a feeling yeah I, I you know this is the relational mindset i talked about earlier um there'll be a feeling with i like this person i get on with this person i could see myself building a relationship with them uh, or the strategic part uh, the strategic mindset i talked about this is someone i need to stay in touch with that's the point at which i ask for their business card now i know that where you are now you'd you'd exchange business cards automatically in the west you would ask uh, more you can be more selective so i might go away from an event with three four five six business cards it depends on the nature of the event so i've already got a filter in place at that stage doesn't mean i'm rude to people it doesn't mean i sort of push them away it just means i don't make a promise to follow up when i don't intend to and i think that's really key then uh there's a really good structure for follow-up immediately after meeting people that both gets you deeper into their uh, network uh, and, and cements that connection between you. It also filters out people who are, who are going to waste your time because they're just not going to follow up with you, whatever. Because you may feel you've got amazing rapport at the event and you send a load of emails and they just never reply. And that unfortunately happens. So the follow-up is three stages. It's, it's 24, 7, 30. Follow-up within 24 hours. And some people say to me, isn't that, bit desperate and i point out that this is business not dating and you need to be seen as reliable and interested and um and, and what strike while your conversation is fresh in their mind now what a lot of people do is they'll send them a quick email or a linkedin connection request while they're standing in front of them because we've got the technology to do that now now if you want to cement a relationship and deepen it 
you need individual touch points. Every time we talk, every time we exchange an email, every time you see that I've commented on your post is a touch point. If I'm talking to you at an event, get my phone out and connect with you on LinkedIn. That's two touch points at the same time, which makes one. So separate them out. So 24, 7, 30, 24 hours, send them an email. Gil, it was really lovely to meet you last night. I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, if there is something of a follow-up, just something there, a one-liner, you know, you ask for this information, or let's grab a coffee if, if that's appropriate at the moment, or let's grab a Zoom call, uh, when are you free? Something like that. Seven is seven days. Follow up again within seven days for me. That's often where I will send my LinkedIn connection request, not the next day when I'm sending the other email because that's two touch points at one time, which equals one touch point. I do it a week later and I personalize the connection request. If they, and in that personalized connection request, I, I have a question, a call to action. So I want a response. If they don't respond, I send that call to action in a message because not everyone reads the messages in a connection request. So that's touch point two. Now to, to help me remember to do that, you might have a CRM system and you can set it up. That might be a bit of a pain. So what I do is when I send that first email, the 24th hour, the 24th hour email, in the BCC field, I write seven days at followupthen.com. And followupthen.com is the best resource I know. And it's hardly anyone knows about it. Whenever I mention it, people haven't come across what, it. What is it? Followupthen.com. So if I put seven days at followupthen.com, seven days later, my email will come back into my inbox. This if is, I, this is, hold on. This is new to me. Is <laughs> this is what I'm saying. From the email address or is this like a special, what is that? It, it, there is a website. And you can go into the website, log in and change your follow-ups. But all you need to do is put a, a, a date, a time, a, an amount of time, like seven days, one week, three years, whatever it might be, at followupthen.com. You can put 9 a.m. Thursday at followupthen.com. And at that follow point... Follow-up, then? Then, Wow, this is cool, ladies and gentlemen. This is a massive hack for everyone who's listening. It's my favorite hack. It's it's wonderful. You get that an email back. Do you mind if I do you mind if I use it and if I share it on with the Go world? For Go for it. I I wow. picked up someone else. I um I, all I say is I work with a lot of um, clients who are in compliance heavy industries like financial services, pharmaceuticals. I don't know the the security status of those messages, so I would use them for relationship building messages. Nothing that contains any. Uh, personal data, any financial data, anything like that, or check before you do. But I would play safe uh, in the messages you share. But for what we're talking about, in terms of if I've met you, I need to remember to send you a LinkedIn connection request in seven days. It's perfect. So that's I, my I absolutely love it. To me, that is a massive, massive hack. So if we go, you know, you, you mentioned a couple of things here in your answer that struck a chord, and I know. You and I have had that conversation now. It was only a, a few, I think it was like about seven years ago mm. when I started to go deeper and deeper into what human networking actually is and how we, what frequencies are and, you know, how we, we feel each other and what is professional, personal relationships really mean. 
I, I did these tests and I understood that based on many tests, I'm an introvert. Now, I didn't really believe it at the beginning because I was like, well, usually I'm the highlight of the party. I'm organizing events. I'm speaking at stages. But actually, when I started looking at it, I understood that in many, many cases, I am, I've reprogrammed myself. I've kind of stepped out of my shell because I didn't like being that shy introvert. And I think it's something that you and I have discussed in, in, in the past because, you know, introverts in general in life believe that building relationships, networking out there is more difficult. Now, I know we've had answers for all of these in the past, but if we bring it back to now, spring of 2020, how has this situation affected 50% of the world who are introverts? Has this been amazing for them because they don't have to go and network, they can just do a little bit of Zoom? Or has this been harder for them in some points? How do you, like, I'm really curious to hear your opinion and view on, I think it's been amazing for them, but I'm just really curious to hear another expert's opinion here. I, first of all, it doesn't surprise me that you would classify yourself as such. Uh, and, and I'm sure a lot of people are surprised, as they would be surprised that I do as well. I don't think I used to be, but I think, you know, 20 years of working in this space sort of drives you more and more into your own company because you've, you've had so many conversations over the years. Uh, I think it's also important to point out that it's not black and white. Um, I would actually classify myself as an ambivert. I have both tendencies. And I think most of us do to some degree or another. It's where we draw our energy from. So when we go up and speak on stage, when we go to a networking event, we can focus our energy on that extrovert um, personality style for that period of time. But then we don't want to talk to anyone. Mm. We want to go and, and have our loan space. So <laughs> yes. speaking for myself, the first two months of our lockdown were to a large degree welcome to me mm -hmm. because my my introvert was battling my introvert side was battling with my lifestyle constant meetings i'm single so you know constantly going out and socializing when actually i just enjoy being in front of the telly and and and, and reading a book or whatever it might be um so i i didn't have any fomo because there was nothing to miss out on um, so I couldn't feel guilty at not going to that party because actually I should be out doing it. Uh, not guilty for not going, having so many meetings a week or having the, going to those events. I had two months downtime mm. and re-energize. Gift. But then what happened was it turned. And now that other side of me that, that craves human contact, that needs that connection, it doesn't come from a Zoom call. I'm talking about shaking hands, hugging when you meet someone. Um, seeing them smile face to face, those little things. Uh, and, and I'm not talking about romantic relationships. That's something for, for those of us who are single that's difficult as well. But I'm talking about human relationships generally. I enjoy hugging my close friends. You know, I, um, and I never thought I'd say I enjoy a handshake, but now you can't do it. You sort of do recognize what it is. Elbow, gives. bump, something. It's, it's or not just the same. bow. Here I love that in Bali. We just bow to each other. But I just wonder if you get a different type of connection when there's a physical connection like that. Mm. So I think that, it, you know, if you're a hundred percent pure, pure introvert, you're probably quite happy. And I, and I know people who are, um, that doesn't mean it's good for you. Um, and I think, you know, it, for, for introverts still need to go out and have conversations and connect with people, particularly in the professional space. 
Um, and Zoom might fill that void for, for, for a bit, certainly. And, and I think that a lot of strong introverts will be welcoming the fact that they can have more meetings over video conferencing rather than face-to-face. Uh, but for extroverts, I think it's getting it's harder and harder. From from a from a general perspective, I, I think that we do miss that human connection. We miss the nuance that I've referenced more than once already um, this afternoon. Um, and, and I think the sooner that we can get back to an element of that, the better. For myself, um, I may be in London less frequently than I was before. As we said earlier, I may have more calls on Zoom, but I still need that connection. And as for introverts and networking generally, I always say that introverts actually make better networkers in, to a large degree. Because introverts tend to not be solely focused on getting their, their voice heard and their message out there. They listen. And that's the biggest skill for anyone when it comes to building professional relationships. I love that. Yeah, I've... Um... I've definitely experienced in the past, and I think it's been said by many, many others, that introverts make better friends in many cases because they listen, they pay attention, they don't get you know, distracted by a dog running around, a cute baby, or you know, a hot, sexy woman that walks by. Uh, introverts, I've heard in many cases, make better bosses, and if we look at some of the biggest leaders in the world, they're actually introverts because there's a different kind of attention to detail, and the, there's... Um, the, the, the level of energy management is in a much, much better place. Um, I, I still believe that introverts and extroverts are all same humans and we're all a little bit of inside of each other. And I think as long as we understand, as you mentioned, how to manage that energy, that's very important. And, you know, managing energy is a massive part of managing relationships. Um, I know in the past, I've had a number of cases in life where I was drained. I was networking so much, building so many relationships. It is draining to respond to everyone, to try to get to zero messages on what's up. And especially now when, you know, in the past, you can go to a birthday party, meet up with 20 people, and that's it. Okay, you've networked with all those 20 people. Now, if you want to try to manage those relationships, because they're important to you, you see them as valuable people, you know you could learn from them. They're people who are doing amazing things in the world. What is that kind of solution that you have potentially on the one side, not to, 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 to manage our own energy? Is there something that you do on how do we manage our state so that we don't get overwhelmed? Or if we are overwhelmed, is this something that you could suggest people to do in order to come back and to just say, you know, select all archive, you know, which I've done a few <laughs> times. Like, if you really want to get in touch, you better follow up. If you don't follow up, it's your problem. What, how do you do that to just like, fuck, not, not, not worry about it too much? I, I would say, first of all, focus on the quality of your network over the quantity. Invest that time in deepening existing relationships and topping up. And it obviously depends on, the, on the, where your network is now. I mean, for you and I, we've both probably got very strong networks already there's enough resource in that network already without us having to go out and constantly top it up and that takes a huge amount of energy um, so focus on where that balance is um, secondly you can you can network okay pre pre-covid you could network all the time seven days a week 
you could network at breakfast meetings, lunch meetings, dinner, supper clubs, dinner meetings. You could network online between those meetings constantly. You could go to weekend retreats. I once spoke at a 24-hour charity networkathon, so you don't even have to go home at any point. Um, you don't, every, there is an opportunity cost to every networking opportunity. When you're there, you could be doing something else. Equally, if you're not there, you could be missing out on something. So whatever you do, there is a cost. And, and you have to get the balance right. So you don't go to every, you don't accept every invite that comes your way. You're selective. If you are feeling tired, you, you pass. With all respect to organizers, don't just not turn up because that's not nice for the people who put the hard work into putting it together. If you've committed to go to something, think hard before you cancel. And you're better off just not, you know, booking it in um, than, than cancelling it. But if you do have to cancel, be honest with the organisers and, and, and tell them in advance that they know what's happening. But, you know, do listen to your body. I talked earlier about going out for a walk. You know, it's, it, can be really, it can be really easy to get lost in what you're doing in a day and suddenly the day's gone and you haven't, particularly you're working from home, so you haven't got a commute either. You haven't left your second bedroom, um, you know, for three days. And that can happen really quickly. So build meditation, build walks, build exercise into your routine because that's going to help you. And don't be afraid to let opportunities pass you by. I know it sounds almost counterintuitive to suggest that, but you're much better focusing on a few key opportunities and making the most of them than just grabbing at everything as it goes past, oh, I can't let that go, I can't let that go, and trying to grab it all. Make the most of what you can do rather than, you know, just failing because you're trying to do everything. Mm. Yeah, very, very wise words. You know, I've, um, especially during COVID, COVID really did, COVID has been a, a massive gift to myself and my family. I've mm. brought in completely brand new morning routines. Um, I got someone kicking my ass out there every single morning, well, five days a week kicking my ass for an hour, you know, just getting my body, my core needs to be strong so I can jump on flights. And if there's a few sick people around me, that's okay. My core, my body is healthy. And, you know, the, the time to spend with my wife and to network with the kids, it's crazy. But now I actually have time in my schedule where it's just family time. But for me, networking is not just professional networking. You got to network with family. You can't forget them. You got to network within yourself. You know, the meditation that you wisely mentioned, that's networking within yourself. That's making sure that, hey, is everything here working? Am I, am, I, am I aligned? Because what I've noticed happened with me in the past where I used to network so that I don't have to think about what's wrong with me. Um, I used to network and I used to try to help others so that I don't have to focus on that, what kind of help I need. So today I've managed, I, I managed, and this is just pre-COVID as well, but since really I think coming to Bali as well, I've been very much in flow, being able to truly network within and making sure that everything here is okay as best as possible. I think we're all messed up in one way or another, and I have a list of what's wrong with me, but you know, the, the, this ability to not have to worry about everyone else and not need to be overwhelmed, and I think you said it beautifully that letting go of opportunities um, I've, I've learned that the easiest way to let go of opportunities is, you know, propose someone else, suggest someone else, recommend someone that you think might be interested even more than you. 
and or at least these days I'm telling them, well, check out that website, check out that group on Facebook, maybe, or maybe, you know, potentially there's someone I can recommend you to. Um, but I find that um, I'm still finding it difficult to say no to people. I'll be very honest with you. I'm, I, I, I like and, and, and it is, and it is. And, and I, you know, I did it yesterday, what you've just suggested. I was talking about putting a program together. Um, one thing that would be part of it would be networking skills. And I didn't feel that I wanted to teach that online. Having to teach it in a room full of people where you can interact. But actually, I know someone who probably is doing it a lot more online than I do. So I said, when we get to that module, let's bring Will Kentish in and let him do the skills uh, element. And, and it's things like that. I want to pick up on something you said that I think is really important. And that is that we're, we're constantly helping each other people to, to avoid helping ourselves. Mm. I blogged years ago, and I think it's in one of my books as well. Um, Stephen Covey in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People talks about emotional bank accounts. And, and the, the, the short version of it is that <clears throat> you wouldn't go into a bank and say, I want to withdraw money without depositing first. And relationships are the same. So you need to invest in your relationships before you withdraw from them. Um, I have a couple of, uh, of, of spins on that, additions to that. And one of them is that you equally wouldn't go into a bank and keep depositing without making a withdrawal at some point. Mm. And there are a lot of people I know who do exactly what you said, and they are always looking for other people. And the blog I wrote was, it was a day when I saw a friend of mine, and my friend is one of the nicest guys you will ever meet, such a lovely, generous person. But his business had always struggled, always struggled. And I, 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 I met up with him, and I said, I've got a referral for you. And, and it, I was excited about this referral, really good opportunity for his business. And I explained it to him and he said, that's great. I'll introduce him to so-and-so. I went, no, you won't. He said, stop. You're doing what you always do. You're looking out for others and not for yourself. You, you know, you need to withdraw from the bank account as well because you're just depositing more again. You'll just be poor. So I think that what you said was really important. I think there is something in the psyche there that, that creates a, a defense mechanism that is, that help that's coming my way, let me pass it on to someone who needs it more, which is lovely and generous. But ultimately, you know, we've, many of us have heard the, the analogy of, you know, uh, put your own oxygen mask on before, you know, before anyone around you. And this is the same thing. Accept support, seek support for yourself, because then you're in a better position to then help others. Yeah, no, I, I love that so much so much and everyone who's currently listening wherever you are if you're listening now or not or if you're listening later please whatever chat is somewhere right there ask for help in any way possible i'm just curious to see how people are going to ask for any kind of help because you know this segues into a really important topic for me which is masterminds i've been uh, you know visiting and studying how masterminds work it's not just what napoleon hill taught us about masterminds when these two minds come together they're actually creating a third but I've gone deeper to understand how, you know, ancient history, you know, thousands of years ago when they sat around the fire and they had this kind of smoking pipe and they moved it around, how it was using numerology and it was using time to allow each person to ask for help, how they allowed each person to, to voice their opinion. And for me, masterminds is really all about being able to ask for help from the collective genius. Where have masterminds played a role in your life? And what's your opinion about what's going on in the world right now? 
Well, it, it, a huge role. Um, so I mentioned earlier that I have another book coming out, hopefully later this year. It's called Just Ask. Um, I mentioned it's about vulnerability, and I think this is so important. And, and the, the reason for that book, and in fact, I think when we first met in 2016, the talk I gave was then called Bigger Than You, but it was the basis for this book because it was about the, the community that we both, um, we both serve and we both live in, which is the professional speaking community. And I had noticed how much everyone, when we met, you know, in the, in the UK, uh, and I think it's the same with the, the APSS in Singapore, the Asian Professional Speakers Singapore, we call each other our tribe. And, and, and we mean that. We, we're very close and some of my best friends um, have come out of that group. And actually my, my friendships with, with the guys I've met like you in Singapore are, are phenomenally deep because of that associated friendship straight away. And yet what I found um, in around 2015, 2016 was I wasn't sharing what was wrong in my business and nor was anyone else. And so that talk was a plea to say, if you can't share with each other here, who are you going to share with? You know, the masterminding movement in the UK certainly is probably at its strongest or among its strongest proponents are the professional speaking community. Um, and I've been in mastermind groups of professional speakers for well over a decade, well over a decade. And actually, my whole, I wouldn't be sitting here, author of four books, a fifth to come, um, spoken all over the world, everything that's happened in my career, it wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been from a mastermind group. Um, when I, I, I used to run business networking groups and when I sold up, I, I'd been brought into that business by my father who co-founded it and I needed to take him with me. And we set up another business that I didn't want to be involved with. Um, but it was the only way of getting him out of the networking groups with me, which needed to happen. Um, and that was a, a very, very early stage. Um, you talk about 2007 online network called Word of Mouse. And the best thing about it was the name. The, <laughs> the rest was a bit of a disaster. Uh, it cost us everything we sold our, our, <coughs> our shares in our business for and some more. Um, and it just wasn't working. And I went to my mastermind group at the time called Wildcard Pack. And I, I, I said, look, we founded this new, um, this new business. No one's signing up. People don't get it. They're trying to drag us back to the model we're trying to get away from. Um, how do we change our marketing? And in the format that we used, and I still use in all the masterminds that I'm in and, and that I teach as well, um, you have... Time to outline your challenge, which I did. Then you have a period of questions. No one can make a, uh, offer a solution. They have to ask questions. It's research. And the first questions were very much what you'd expect. You know, what marketing are you doing at the moment? What's the actual premise? How does it work? What's the message and so forth? And then after about 15 or 20 minutes, I guess, someone just turned around and said, Andy, is your heart really in this? And, and I said, no. I'm doing it because this is the deal with my father. And she said, well, it doesn't matter what marketing you do. If you don't believe in it, why would anyone else? Mm. What do you believe in? What are you passionate about? And I talked about training and speaking, you know, the work that I, I really wanted to do. And I said, but I don't see how we can make a business out of that. And we spent the rest of the session working out how to create a business out of what I was passionate about. Now, now, my parents were both involved in, in this business, financially very involved. This was a key meeting. These marketing ideas we were going to go away with 
were central to turning our fortunes around. You know, we were heading for going to go bust at that stage. And at five o'clock, my dad called. How did it go today? And I've got to tell him that we've got to, we've got to scrap the whole business he believes in. We've got to write off all the money we've lost and we've got to do what he doesn't believe in. Mm. Uh, I told him I called him in the morning. But actually, when I did, um, they, they both got it. And they both went with it. And a lot of that was because it wasn't me saying it. It was other objective observers. Mm. And I think that was a really key thing. I mean, I could share so many other occasions when mastermind groups have helped me or people in them. But I think that that was the turning point. That was such a huge turning point. Three of those uh, people went on to be my first mentors as well. You know, and, and for all our highs and lows, and there have been both, um, 13 years later, we're still here. We're still trading despite a crash. You know, my first two clients were NatWest, uh, part of RBS, and Merrill Lynch. And that was 2008. And if anyone knows anything about 2008 and RBS and Merrill Lynch, you'll know how well that went. You know, we went from my first month, I invoiced £10,000 for one invoice, thinking this is easy. And the next, I think three months later, it was zero. Uh, and now this, but we're still here. And it's masterminds all the way that have helped that journey. I love that. Yeah. Masterminds truly activate the collective genius. They, uh, they help us get, you know, up to date and relevant information to people. They help us go deep. I find with people, you know, very, very quickly. And the, the, one of the greatest things is they really help us, you know, identify opportunities and relationships in our life. They, they really open things up. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Thank you, Andy. That's, that's an important part. You know, masterminds have been an important part for us, especially during COVID time, because I believe that masterminds is this kind of anti-crisis, anti-loneliness solution that many people have where they can build new relationships. They could start a new life. You know, maybe their company went bankrupt, bankrupt they, got, they, they got fired and they need to start all over again. I find that masterminds can give them that, you know, catapult to you know don't have to start one by one you jump into a mastermind and suddenly you have these like you said mentors that support you i love that do you write anything about masterminds within your new book the connected leadership yeah i talk about masterminding and mentoring absolutely um uh, and i give my sort of, sort of key I, I think i give my key rules for, for mastermind groups and structure uh, in there and i've got a separate tips book on mastermind groups as well it's, it's a key thing that I, I fully believe in. And I think an important thing to stress is that, you know, I shared a business challenge there. And, and I run a mastermind for the fellows of the, the Professional Speaking Association. So, you know, you'll know this, the CSP, Certified Speaking Professionals. And um, this is the UK uh, uh, equivalent of, uh, of that. Uh, and I run those meetings and we run it on masterminding. Uh, and we had a, a fellows forum a couple of weeks ago and I said, okay, who wants to take a hot seat? Who wants to mastermind? And one of our newer fellows messaged me and he said, I'm not sure I have this particular challenge, but I'm not sure if it's for a PSA mastermind group. And it was about, he, he prevaricates. He doesn't take action when he needs to. I said, oh yes, absolutely. And I think that it's, it's important to recognize that a mastermind group can help you with business challenges in the traditional view of that phrase. But, Personal challenges lead to business challenges. And there's a lot you can bring to the table about what drives you and what's holding you back personally that makes a big difference. And masterminds can help with that. You talk about um, 
the, the challenges that leaders face. Uh, I don't know if you know Nick Johnson, who runs EGN in, in Singapore, um, but, but Nick's writing a book yeah, at the Nick, moment. Of course, yeah, you know I was it, a speaker yeah. at their event. Yeah, amazing yeah. guy yeah. who rides and, his bike every single morning <laughs> through Singapore. I bet he does. Yeah, absolute um, uh, fitness nut. <clears throat> Nick, Nick's writing a book at the moment about loneliness in leadership. And he's carried out some really interesting research, uh, which I feature in the book, uh, about um, the amount of leaders that are feeling lonely and what's causing it. Um, and masterminds, you know, groups like the group you're running, like the group Nick's running, are absolutely key in making a difference there. Hmm. Beautiful. Wow. Thank you so much, Andy. It's been uh, such a cool interview. I, I like being in the flow with people that I admire. I'm personally really looking forward to, to seeing your book, The Connected Leadership. Highly recommend. I know my team has already posted the Amazon link everywhere. Brilliant. I'm Thank curious, you. is there going to be an audio book that's going to come out? Because I'm an audio book kind of guy. There will be. It's on my list. I want to get the podcast launched. And then I think I look at my whiteboard now. It says, just ask, which the contracts will be signed this week, Connected Leadership Podcast, and then uh, we've got the audiobook. So it, it's being planned. Beautiful. And is a big part of networking and masterminding. Andy, is there anything that myself or any of our listeners could do for you at this moment of life? That's very kind of you to ask. Well, I mean, you know, my focus today in this moment is, is getting this book read by as many of the right people as possible. It, it's It's predominantly uh, written for uh, leaders. Now, that whether that is someone who is in a, a, a management position, a leadership position in a multinational company, whether it's an entrepreneur who runs their own business, which they lead, uh, or aspiring leaders. If you know people in those spaces, please tell, tell your network about the book. If you buy it, read it, and like it, please post reviews, because the more reviews that we get, the more visibility the book gets. And it's about getting that message out there. An offer from me as well. Uh, I've talked about a number of things. What I'll do, uh, Gil, is perhaps have a chat with you afterwards and we can make some resources available. Um, I, I'm certainly happy to make a free um, a, a chapter one available free um, to, to people listening to this, if that's useful. Uh, I also have a professional relationships wheel and the professional, professional relationships wheel asks you 15 questions around building, nurturing and leveraging uh, your professional relationships that helps you gauge where you're at. Um, and, and you can download that wheel and there's a 35 minute video talking you through the questions that I'm happy to make available. So if they're useful resources, we can do that. And then the, the relationship matrix that I talked about when that's developed, I can make it available to you as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I would highly, highly recommend you follow Andy, uh, connect with him on LinkedIn. You can let him know, don't just connect. Let him know, hey, I listened to your talk with Gil. I'm interested. Like, make it personally. Okay. Start a conversation with him. LinkedIn, I'm assuming Andy's the best place for people to connect with you and maybe follow yeah. you on Facebook. Yeah, I, I th um, I've got Andy Lapata connecting is not enough on Facebook. There's uh, connecting is not enough on Instagram, which is my business Instagram. Um, and yes, uh, LinkedIn, personalize your connection request or just follow because I post uh, a lot on there anyway. So you're welcome to just follow up and pick that up. Love that. Andy, thank you so much. We're going to say uh, goodbye to our friends that are watching us online, but everyone on Zoom is going to stay online. So Andy, stay with us. We're getting into some personalized questions with some of our VIPs in the community. Everyone else who's listening online live with us or you're listening to this, 
in the upcoming near future. Thank you so much for listening. We have Andy Lopata with us. Please make sure you follow up with him. Looking forward to seeing all of you again soon. Thank you again, Andy. Thanks. Thanks everyone on Facebook for watching as well.